Alhamdulillahi wa kafa Wassalamu ala ibadihi alladhi nastafa Amma ba'd Fa'udhu billahi minash shaytani rajim Bismillahir rahmanir rahim Walladhina jahadu fina Lanahdiyannahum subulana Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun Wassalamu ala al-mursaleen Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad Wa ala Ali Sayyidina Muhammad Wabarik Wasallim Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad Wa ala Ali Sayyidina Muhammad Wabarik Wasallim Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad Wa ala Ali Sayyidina Muhammad Wabarik Wasallim The scholars of spiritual development of Tasawwuf. They speak about journeys that a person takes on their path to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And those journeys are worth thinking about because they not only apply to a person's spiritual journey, but they actually apply to many different dimensions of our lives. In fact, if you, interestingly, if you uh, read the books of the, the, the writings, if you read the writings of the um, people of piety, one of the um, topics that they'll discuss are these journeys of the soul. And... Sometimes when you read the journeys of the soul and the descriptions that they provide, um, it might even seem a bit foreign. You know, where do these journeys come from and why are they talking about these journeys? Um, and perhaps, perhaps sometimes uh, there is some detail there that um, may, may, may not be as, uh, of as much benefit today as was historically. But, but I think the topic overall um, is very useful uh, particularly uh, if you look at it from a very wide lens because it applies to so many dimensions of our life. So what I'm going to do today, we're going to very briefly talk about those journeys, again, in a very, very superficial way, but I'm going to start the other way. I'm just going to give you an example of some journeys in life and talk about the phases of those journeys. And when you understand and relate to those phases, then I'll extend that into the spiritual journey. So let's start by the most important journey, start with, I'm sorry, let's start with the most important journey that any of us will ever take in this room. The most important journey that any of us will ever take in this room. And that would be the journey of Hajj. Correct? I mean, the journey of Hajj is a mandate upon us, and it's what we like to term the journey of a lifetime. Now, in this journey, what you're going to find is that there are phases, or you can think of it. You can think of it, um, the journey, you, can, you can tackle the journey by understanding its phases. So, for example, phase one of the journey is the preparation and the actual departure. That's phase one of, 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 the, of any journey, by the way, but in this example, we're talking about Hajj. So, for example, you know that um, Hajj isn't just showing up all of a sudden someplace and trying to figure out what's going on. Rather, 
so much of the Hajj is predicated upon the preparation that a person takes before they even make the physical journey. So, for example, there are some steps, there's some sub-steps there. The first sub-step is to recognize that it's a requirement upon me and that I am, in, I am more in need of the journey than the journey is of me. Meaning, I'm the one that's in need, I'm going in absolute need, I'm, I'm the one that's getting complete benefit by, by taking this journey. So we appreciate a need and we appreciate a benefit. Now once we get past that point, then the next thing is to understand the journey. What are the steps that I have to take in the journey? And so, for example, it's so important when a person prepares for Hajj to not just show up or just get on the plane and begin the journey, but to actually read about Hajj, understand the Hajj, understand the benefits, understand um, all the opportunities that are going to arise, understand the various fiqh issues that are related to, uh, to Hajj. And then there's a third phase of the preparation, which is just to prepare myself because I'm taking a journey, so it's a chance for me to, to, to sort of turn a new leaf, right? I mean, in the Hajj, most importantly, or most particularly, I'm going on this journey. This is a journey for me to come back renewed. And so because this is a journey for me to come back renewed, maybe I should tie up all the loose ends from the past so that I can start afresh moving forward. So, for example, was there anyone that I wronged? Was there anybody that I owe a debt to? Uh, I should make and seek forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for all of the mistakes that I made in the past. I should make uh, turaka, uh, seeking his forgiveness. I should identify the mistakes that I've made in the past. I should go back and seek forgiveness from people if necessary. Or perhaps I should give some charity on their behalf in order to make amends. I should appreciate all the mistakes that I made so I don't make them in the future. Um, I should prepare a will because that's one of the things that uh, the scholars recommend prior to making such a journey. So again, anyway, my point here is that there's phase one of the journey. I, I, I outlined some sub-steps, but there's phase one of the journey, which is this journey towards the destination. You're making a journey towards the just destination. You haven't yet arrived at the destination. You're simply preparing to head towards the destination. And it has its stages, like I mentioned. I mean, even to the point where when you're flying from here to uh, you're connecting flights for the Hajj, there's responsibilities that you have even on that flight. You can take certain benefits. So that's phase one, to the destination. Phase two is at the destination. Now, when a person is at the destination, then the most important thing, and this is going to sound very strange, but the most important thing is to be at the destination. When a person is at the destination, the most important thing is to be at the destination. Meaning, at every step along the way, they should appreciate the opportunities that are present before them, and they should be in complete headspace, disappear, totally focused on where they're at and the opportunities present before them. In fact, in the Hajj in particular, you see that uh, the scholars say, and they beautifully mention this, that when a person goes for Hajj, essentially their language is even forgotten. You're so focused on being at the Hajj that essentially your, your singular statement becomes labbaik, Allahumma labbaik, labbaik, la sharika laka labbaik, to the end of it. And that becomes a singular statement such that even, they, the scholars say that even a person is deleting the language that they used to speak and is completely embedded in this statement that they're, they're going to be making consistently. Same thing with, for example, clothing. Everybody has a particular type of clothing that they might be wearing, but 
a reminder, particularly obviously for the males, is that they're in this ihram, right? There's many, many benefits to the ihram. But one of the benefits to the ihram is that it just completely negates my past. Okay, I have a culture, I have a way of dressing, I have a certain peculiarity, peculiarities that are related to me, but I don't remember all of that. We're all here dressed in the exact same way. We're in a uniform, absolutely focused on what we're here to do. So, subhanAllah, the key thing in this second phase of the journey is to be there. And the more that we can be there, the more that we can appreciate the opportunities that are present before us, the more that we can be focused on the fact that we're here for the sake of Allah and for the sake of Allah alone. I've come with a mountain of sins on one shoulder and a mountain of sins on the other shoulder, and now I'm presenting myself before my Lord. I've got no other purpose here except this, just like a cancer patient which patient would show up at a hospital and wouldn't be worried about anything except their cure. I too have come here spiritually. I'm diseased. I'm not worried about anything except my cure. So the benefit of the second phase of the journey is to be absolutely focused on the journey and not worry about what's going on in the world around you. What's the third phase of the journey? The third phase of the journey is when you complete the Hajj, you then begin the return home. Now, the beginning of the return home, interestingly, is embedded within the journey as well because you know that the Hajj in particular is a five-day, maybe six-day maximum, um, defined period of time in which a series of ibadat and, and beneficial deeds are assigned. Uh, but then you go beyond that and there's other, you can extend your stay and most, most people will stay for, for some additional days. And essentially those, are, those extra days are a means for, again, taking massive benefit, but they also act as a mechanism to prepare the return, prepare for the return. But essentially what you get to is you get to this third phase of the journey, which is the third phase of the journey is the return home. And when a person's making the return home, they have to then recognize that things have changed, right? I'm, I've achieved certain things at this place. I need to think about what's going to happen once I go back home. I need to think about how I'm going to change my life. I'm going to think about the adjustments that are necessary for me to be able to carry the benefits from this journey. Okay, so this is the third phase of the journey. And the fourth phase of the journey is to then embed oneself in the world in which they existed, but to be completely different inside. And that's the ultimate sign of an accepted hajj. Meaning, okay, I went for this hajj, I came back. When I came back, I'm interacting with the world around me as I normally interacted with the world around me, right? Uh, maybe I'm a professional, I work at a, a particular place, uh, I have certain dealings that I engage with with other people. But once I complete that journey and I come back home, I should be continuously connected with the renewal that I gained from Hajj and the connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that I developed in Hajj, but I should be interacting with the world around me as if I'm normal and no one should be able to necessarily see that except perhaps with some differences in my behavior. So otherwise stated, my heart's connected with Allah but in essence, I'm engaging with the world around me as if a normal person, I'm dealing with in the, with in the world the same way that a normal person would deal with the world, except internally, I'm connected with Allah, and there's going to be an obvious expression of that in my manners, my behavior, my adab, my akhlaq, etc. So notice here that in this example of hajj, you essentially have four phases of a journey. Phase one, heading to hajj which includes the preparatory steps. Phase, phase two, traveling within the Hajj, 
which basically requires that a person be absolutely focused on the Hajj to take maximum advantage. And in that period of time, they essentially disappear from the world. And in the case of Hajj, you disappear from your language through labbaik, Allahumma labbaik. You disappear from your culture and clothing through the ihram, etc. So phase one, to Hajj. Phase two, within Hajj. Phase three, returning from Hajj. Phase four, you're engaged with the world, but you're a Haji. You're what, what I would say with Hajj. Hajj is in, embedded within you. Now, those four phases uh, of, the, of this journey, that defines the key phases of the Hajj. Four phases, right? Now, again, we could break down that into a series of some phases, but we're just speaking, again, we're painting very broad strokes here. So these are what I would say the, are the four phases of the spiritual journey of Hajj. Let's go to the next step. This doesn't only apply to the Hajj. This also applies to other important things that a person does in life. And if a person can appreciate these four phases and learn to translate them into other circumstances in life, then they'll not only be successful in the Hajj, but they'll be successful in so many things that they aim to do. I'll give you an example. So let's say uh, that you want to become a lawyer. Let's say that you want to become a lawyer. Then I would argue that the same four phases that I just described are the same four phases that would be applicable to somebody in their pursuit of law. For example, what would phase one be? Phase one would be the journey to law school. So I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, okay, I've got this opportunity. Law school is three years long. Here's why I'm going. Here's the things that I can benefit from. I'm going to start thinking and planning about the classes that I'm going to take. I'm going to start thinking and planning about how I'm going to change some of my prior habits in order for me to be able to take advantage of this opportunity for, uh, to get this degree. I'm going to plan who I'm going to study with. I'm going to read the syllabus beforehand. I'm going to understand how I can get an A in every class. Replace law school with med school, with a PhD, with a master's, whatever you want to replace it with. It's any, any pursuit, any pursuit, okay? So what would phase one be? Phase one would be heading in the direction of, of what I intend to do. What's phase two? Phase two is the time in law school. All right? So phase two, essentially what happens is this phase, more than anything, requires that you be there. Like I said earlier, right, for the Hajj. Phase two requires more than anything that you be there. What does that mean? It means that when you're there, you should be there. You should be focused on the opportunity at hand. Your mind shouldn't be in 10 places. You shouldn't be thinking, you're sitting, at, uh, you're sitting and studying at night, and you say, oh, you know what, rather than studying law tonight, I think it'd be much more interesting for me to read a book of tafsir. All right? By the way, these are the whisperings of shaitan. Shaitan, when a person has an opportunity and is trying to maximize on that opportunity, shaitan will paint for them a picture of doing so many other things that could be beneficial, which in and of themselves are beneficial at, at, at a particular time and place. Reading a book of tafsir is an extremely uh, beneficial act, but it's not the most beneficial for that person at their time and place. So, for example, a person's going to medical school, right? the number one thing People ask me this advice all the time because of my background. Well, give me some advice. What's the number one thing I can do in medical school? Well, the number one thing you can be in medical can do in medical school is to be at medical school. Don't tell me about the ten other things that you want to do because you have your whole life to do those. 
And this part of the journey, this journey in medicine, let's call it in medicine, right? Like I said, this journey in Hajj, now we're applying this to medicine. So this journey in medicine requires you to be absolutely focused on medicine. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that any person's going to be negligent of the, of the mandates that they have upon them. The prayers are the prayers. We have to pray those no matter where we are. Well, even when we're at Hajj, by the way, and we're praying the prayers. Um, and it doesn't mean that we're going to be negligent of the basic spiritual needs that we have or the basic responsibilities that we have to check in on parents and check in on family. But what it means is that we're going to recognize that this part of the journey requires me to be absolutely focused on the journey to the best of my ability, recognizing that this time won't come again. And this applies, again, like I said, to everyone. It applies to a student of knowledge. It applies to a student of medicine. It applies to a student of law. It applies to so many different endeavors and pursuits. So this is the number one challenge in that phase of the journey. Now, those phases of the journey, they don't last forever, right? I mean, look, if you came to me, and by the way, there's this whole principle that the scholars of the Wolf also talk about, about getting stuck in a phase. Let me talk about that at the end. Somebody remind me. Anyway, that's phase two, right? Okay, phase three of this, now I'm using another example. We're using the example of med school, law school. You can replace the term business school, PhD, whatever you want to call it, uh, Dini studies. Anything can be placed here. Phase three is the return, the return from the journey. So in the return for the journey, like now you're thinking, okay, I have a new skill. What am I going to do with that skill? How am I going to live up to the standard of that skill? How am I going to translate that, to, that skill into something that's beneficial for me and beneficial for the people around me? I represent, I'm different today than I was yesterday. I represent something greater. A person who's gone for Hajj is not like a common person. They're a much different person. They have the opportunity of a lifetime, the journey of a lifetime. They need to think, what am I going to do when I return back? How am I going to live life differently? How am I going to reflect this great blessing upon me and change the way in which I behave? So the same thing applies, for example, for the, for the student of medicine, the student of Islamic studies, whatever it might be. They have to ask the hard question, which is now I'm leaving this phase. I'm moving to another phase. How am I going to change the way in which I behave? How am I going to represent this, this new, um, the, the journey that I've taken, the phase of the journey that I've just completed? And this is something that all of us have to think about. And what's the final phase? The final phase is that a person is looks like everybody else, but engages with them in a, with, a, with a special character, but more importantly, internally is completely different. That, that's the sign, right? I mean, the sign of a person who's gone for Hajj is not that they wear a big t-shirt, you know, I went for Hajj in whatever, 1987, right? That's not the sign that you went for Hajj. The sign for, that, that a person's gone for Hajj is that they're internally absolutely connected with Allah that they've made this spiritual journey. And yes, they engage with the world and they behave normally. They're eating, they're drinking, they're talking, they're smiling, uh, they're interacting, they're going to work, they're earning a salary. But inside, they're a completely different person. They're a completely different person. And so the example in this case, for example, the, the, the individual who goes to medical school, just as an example, I mean, you can't compare. Like for example, the person goes to medical school, now they're out there in the world, they come back, and they're engaging with the world. They're eating, they're drinking, they're sleeping, uh, they're uh, seeing their family members, but inside they're a doctor. They're thinking about their cases. They're, they're thinking about their patients. They're thinking about, I mean, it, it, you can't change that about the person. Who, the person who's really gone through something like that, 
it completely changes them inside. You know, I mean, a lawyer, you know, will go to the mall and will see all of the liabilities that are present in the mall. It's just who they are. It doesn't mean that they're giving everybody a lecture on liabilities, but it's just who they are. A, a doctor sees the world very differently. Every time they see anything, they're thinking about 10 different differentials that could be in their head. You know, it could be this and this and this and this. It's just the nature of who they are. So that's how, that's, that's the final phase of the journey, right? Which is this phase in which you carry the journey but it's discreetly present within you such that you express that different, in a different way with humanity and internally, okay? So we talked about four phases of any journey. We're using the example of Hajj and then using the example of med school, law school. Again, what's phase one? Phase one is preparation where a person heads from their current circumstance to recognize the opportunity present before them. So they begin to prepare for the journey just like they would for Hajj, med school, whatever it might be. Phase two, your dedicated time in which you're devoted to that. And the goal in phase two is to recognize that this is a contained box of time, four years, whatever it might be, two years, one year, five days in the case of Hajj, which subhanAllah is phenomenal, by the way. All these other journeys take years. You know, med school, how long of a journey is it? SubhanAllah, Hajj occurs in five days. It's just complete, it's amazing. There's no such journey like it. Okay, phase two within, phase one, two, the journey to the, de to the destination, phase two within the destination, phase three from the destination, four, phase four with, with the effects of the destination. All right, okay, now that all of that's been explicated, I'll just say, now it's, if you have that perspective in mind and you read about the stations and the journey of the, of the soul, the same four phases apply, but they make a lot more sense. It doesn't sound so esoteric when you think of it from this lens. So what are the four phases of the journey of the soul? So the scholars of, of spiritual development, they mention four, four phases. Phase one is that the soul awakens to a reality greater than it, which is what? Which is basically tawheed, right? A soul awakens to tawheed, that I am nothing, Allah is all. This is, the, this is the first phase of the journey. So, and all of us, by the way, we undergo that at some part, part of our life. For example, uh, some of us may have, uh, that may have occurred in college, some of, that of us may have occurred at some midlife crisis at some period in our life, some of us may be in the room, may be new Muslims, and so it occurred somewhere in our, uh, in our you know, history. But essentially, this, is, this phase is always going to be present. And it's, it's essentially, it's an awakening. An awakening that the soul recognizes that the whole world isn't revolving around me. Because normally the soul is completely con uh, consumed with itself. Me, myself, and I. How can you feed me as much as I want to be fed? How can you take me to every place that I want to go? How can you dress me in as many different types of colors and styles that I can get my hands on? This is just the nature of the human being. The nafs is driving the person. And essentially, they're totally fixated on themselves. Their eye is turned inside towards them. Who's going to treat me the best? Who's going to do everything my way? Et cetera, et cetera. But when this awakening occurs, a person's first, destined, first journey is to Allah. The soul begins to recognize that it needs to make a journey to Allah. So that's phase one. Phase two is that a person must now travel within the opportunity of connecting with Allah. And that requires 
a dedicated, focused period of, a period of time and an effort. You have to disappear in that opportunity. Now, does that mean that you're going to be disappearing for the rest of your life? No. But it's like anything else. Look, medical school might be four years. Uh, law school might be three years. Uh, a master's might be one year. You have to disappear in that opportunity. Yes, your life's going to change. You're not going to be running around with your friends and doing all the things that you normally did. You're, in fact, everybody's family even recognizes this. I mean, look, uh, everybody knows that, if, for example, uh, when there's a kid in college, the parents will say, don't bother, this, don't bother he or she because they're busy. Let them focus. Let them study, right? I mean, in our society, you look how much space we create when we feel somebody's making an important journey. We create, we, we as a family create space. We say, don't call them, don't bother them, let them focus. We cover them in order for them to be able to achieve their goals. So the same arises in the spiritual journey as well. When a person awakens and recognizes that they want to connect their soul with Allah, they see that there's a destination beyond themselves. They see something far bigger, a true opportunity. There is a dedicated period in which they need to absolutely focus on that. Now, does it mean, like I said, does it mean that they don't connect with anyone ever? No. But, I mean, just play the same example of what you would expect of a college student, high school student, medical student, anything that we value in life. It's going to require a dedicated period of time in which a person really gets a chance to focus on what their, what their goal is. So this is an essential component of the journey of the soul. Some dedicated period of time. Now, again, like I said, it's not 20 years, but it's also not 20 days. Maybe three years, four years, where a person really focuses on themselves and uh, begins to develop that connection so that they can, um, it's just, again, part of the journey, okay? And that journey has its own substations. Now, a lot of times you read, can, we can read the books of, uh, of, of, of spiritual development and they go through all these stations, maqamat, right? That there's this station and this station and this station and this station and this station. And those stations, are, they're just elucidating the possibilities, the stops on the, on the journey, okay? The possible stops on the journey. And they apply to some. They don't necessarily apply to all. But, but each of them can be relevant, some more, some more than others. But I'm just painting broad strokes here. So phase one, the soul awakens to understand that there's an opportunity to connect with something much bigger than itself, to be much... To, to, that, that the true purpose of our existence is la ilaha illallah, and it recognizes and begins to be inclined towards that goal. Phase two, a person changes and goes into a training phase. Okay, it's a, They embed themselves in this opportunity. They devote themselves to their routine. They devote themselves to maintaining the purity of, in their life. They devote themselves to being absolutely focused on, on their goal. What's phase three? Phase three is now they begin to, you know, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a, there's, it's like a, think of it like a plane, you know, you go, you take off and then you're traveling and then there's, you have to descend. So now there's a descent. There's a return back to quote unquote normalcy, normal life. Maybe not normalcy, normal life, everyday life. Okay. So they go from this phase of now, okay, there, somebody has to land this plane. Somebody has to land the person to the destination. Okay. And then finally, in the final phase, they become one who is engaging with the world, but whose heart is connected with Allah. And by the way, this is exactly what the companions were. This is exactly what even, to some extent, the Prophet ﷺ was. Meaning, you would see the Prophet ﷺ eating. Of course, his eating was different, but he's still eating, right? You would see that he's resting, but his heart is actually awake. 
you would see that he's engaging with the world, but that engagement is with a deep connection of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which none of us can ever fathom. Or maybe the better example would be even the companions, right? Somebody like Abu Bakr radiallahu anh, he's trading, he's engaging, he's eating, he's, mar he's married. He, he, he looks on the surface, if you just took this person, you, they look relatively normal. They look like, like relatively like anybody else, but there's a complete difference in who they are. Because when you open up and look at what, what's under the hood, you see a real engine. Right? It's real, a real heart that's truly clean, a real heart that's truly connected with Allah. This thing's running on different cylinders. Right? It's a completely different ballgame. So, and, of course, that's expressed in the character and the way they behave, the way they react to circumstances. But again, externally, they relatively look normal. So this is the fourth and final phase of the, of the spiritual journey. Now, interestingly, the Mashaikh they talk about the fact that a person can get stuck in phases. They talk about two things. They talk about distractions in phases and being stuck in phases. And for example, distractions in phases. So uh, I gave this example already, but it's worth repeating. Look, the person who's in med school, the number one advice I have for them is be in med school. Don't call me up and tell me you want to study Arabic now. I agree, Arabic is a very laudable um, goal. And perhaps there can be some embedding of Arabic uh, throughout you know, your day, but that's not the time to be picking up like uh, you know, surf tables and, and starting to memorize surf tables at the expense of anatomy or physiology or some other responsibility that's on your shoulder because you've committed yourself to something. You've made a decision that I'm gonna pursue this. And by the way, this is the way by which you're going to um, serve, serve Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's creation, and perhaps it might be your mechanism to earn a great reward. And, but we as human beings, what we do is we get embedded in something, and then we look at the rest of the world, and we think we should be them. You know, uh, the, the doctor's thinking they should be the scholar, and the scholar's thinking maybe I should have been a doctor. It's just upside down. It's upside down. That's not who each person should be themselves. That's where the, 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 the maximum amount of benefit comes from. So again, not to say that learning Arabic isn't an essential and important and beneficial thing. It certainly is, but it's just not the exact time and place in which that needs to be situated in one's life. And you have your whole life to do that. Honestly, if a person becomes strong in their journey, then it opens the door to so many other opportunities beyond. But if a person's lacking in their journey, then they're gonna always be weak. I mean, imagine a person who never really studied properly uh, in, in any particular subject, they're going to be weak in that subject for the rest of their life. And it's actually going to close doors for future opportunities. It's not going to open doors for future opportunities. So, again, being distracted. And by the way, the same thing is mentioned in the, in the context of uh, spiritual development in that the scholars, they mentioned that when a person is making their journey spiritually, they're being assigned their routine and they're focused on developing themselves, they should be absolutely focused and committed for that period of time absolutely focused and committed to the path and the journey that they're taking. Sure, there's a thousand paths and there's a thousand journeys, but at that point in time, they're not relevant because you've already made the distance, your, your, your goal, your, you know, your, your journey one, you already made this journey your current goal. You can pursue a thousand paths over a thousand months in the future, but at this point, you've made this your goal. So one, again, recommendation from the scholars of spiritual development is that a person absolutely focused on the journey that they have when they're taking that journey. All right, now I also mentioned that they talk about this idea of getting stuck at phases, right? And how does a person get stuck at a phase? So for example, 
Um, one of the ways that a person gets, can get stuck at a phase is to, for example, they take the journey, but they become so fixated on the journey that they basically forget the fact that they need to make a return. Or they become so fixated on the journey, that preparing for the journey, that they just keep preparing and preparing and preparing and never take the journey, right? I mean, for example, a person who wants to go for Hajj, but keeps learning about Hajj and keeps learning about Hajj and keeps learning about Hajj, but never actually goes on Hajj. Right? Uh, if a person attends a one HUD seminar or, or two HUD seminar, you see them at the third HUD seminar and they haven't yet gone for HUD, you say, here, let me give you a piece of advice. Don't worry about the seminar. Why don't you just go for, for the journey? Right? So uh, similarly, uh, if a person is uh, journeying through um, medical school, right? And after medical school, they have to do residency. After residency, they have to do fellowship. And now they, they do fellowship, and then they do another fellowship, and then they do another fellowship, and then they do like a PhD, and then after PhD, they do another PhD. And there are people out there like that. You eventually have to grab them by the hand and say, okay, you got, you've made a journey, but I need to pull you back a little bit now and return you back because you need to use this for something. Uh, there, there's, a, there's a need for this, meaning there's a purpose to it. There's Inherently, you need to be using this as a tool to produce something greater, which is the service of humanity. Now, of course, there's always people that are going to be doing PhDs, and then eventually after a PhD, they're going to be, they eventually re remain in that uh, arena, and they may be teaching, but it's not that they're going to do 10 PhDs, although some people do. They're going to do a PhD, maybe whatever extra postdoc they need to do, and eventually then they're going to go into a circumstance where they can serve, okay? So, so this is an example of getting stuck in the journey. And by the way, this also occurs in the science of spiritual development as well. Now, how does a person get stuck in the journey? Because essentially they make the intention, they go into this journey, but they get so caught up in the dhikr that the whole thing is the masjid, right? They lose themselves in this. They're going on this 10-year journey, which should never be 10 years, but they go on this 10-year journey and they disappear from the world, but they never want to go past that. They don't want to go back into the, into the quote-unquote normal, normal life phase. And... The scholars at the Sawuf, they mention, as a, as a reminder to those who are the trainers in the science of the Sawuf, that it's important to make sure that at each phase of the journey, the student doesn't get stuck and the student doesn't get lost. Right? The student doesn't get stuck and the student doesn't get lost. They have to go through this entire journey. Now, the whole reason of, of, of mentioning this, and I took, subhanAllah, I, I walked in here thinking, I'm going to keep this very short, uh, because we should be doing more liquor and less talking, and each time I fail in this, and now we only have 10 minutes left, almost. But again, let me just quickly recap. So essentially, um, the purpose, my purpose in having this discussion was to remind all of you that you're on a journey. And you have to find your, you have to ask yourself what phase of the journey you're in, and each phase is going to have its own requirements, its own demands, its own, um, its own, means of maximizing the opportunity that is at hand. So when a person is in their phase of preparing, they should be preparing, but that preparing phase doesn't take forever. You, know, you, you make an analysis, you think about what you're going to do, you devote yourself to that thing, and then you move forward. When a person's actually traveling and journeying in their, uh, in their goal, then there should be a destination, there should be a clear, demarcated, understanding of what they're trying to achieve and how they're going to achieve it and what period they're going to achieve it in. And I, that's so important, particularly because that's the way we live today. Right? Everybody knows, I'm going from first grade, then I'm going to go to elementary school, from, from kindergarten to elementary school, elementary school to middle school, middle school to junior high, junior high to high school, high school to college, college to whatever. These are very defined. We grow up that way. You can't change that about who we are. It's a very structured society in which we exist. So it's very important to know, 
here's how long the journey's gonna take, here are the steps that I need to make, here's how I'm going to achieve progress. Again, that's a long discussion, but just highlights the important point. And then finally, there needs to be a return, and there needs to be an embedding of that return in the life that a person lives so that it changes them. Now, when that occurs, this could be a whole one-day seminar, but when that occurs, it's also important to remember that it doesn't mean that you delete the journey. It means that you carry the journey. So for example, um, look, a, a doctor, just as an example, a doctor does open the books and does review on occasion and does have to take what we call continuing medical education. Each year they're required to take X number of courses, which kind of makes them like a student for maybe a couple days. So part of, the journey, part of carrying the journey is that you're going to have to repeat, re review that journey, is that you have to maintain a daily routine. And this daily routine that we assign, this is, um, this is something that is present at all four phases of the journey. But what it means is that the focus is gonna be different. Because in the journey, the focus is me. But after the journey, the focus is carrying me into the world in which I have to exist because that's what Islam is. Islam is an expression of tawheed in the context of the dunya that surrounds me, right? Islam is an expression of tawheed in the context of the dunya that surrounds me. So challenges are going to arise. I do have to feed myself and I do have to understand what's halal and what's haram. I do have to earn a living. I have to understand what's halal and what's haram. I do have to earn a paycheck and understand what are the opportunities and responsibilities that come with this paycheck. How do I have the opportunity to, earn, to, to prove my tawheed? Like, like uh, as the hadith mentions, sadaqa burhan, right? That sadaqa is a proof of one's faith, etc. So that's how we express uh, the connection that we have with Allah, it's through the behavior, the manners, the character, the worship, the ibadah, the turning away from the busyness of the world and returning back to the masjid five times a day or back to the musalla five times a day in order to offer our prayer. But anyway, um, these are the phases of the journey. Now, if you look at it from that perspective, it doesn't seem as esoteric or as foreign. In fact, it makes sense because it's exactly the phases that we take on any journey, whether you start with the idea of hajj or you start with the idea of uh, education, which in which these are all journeys that we take. Sure, Hajj is a physical journey, but it's also a metaphysical journey. And education, too, is a physical journey, but it's also an intellectual and metaphysical journey. So spiritually, we also have a journey. And we have to appreciate that journey, because when you understand that journey, that will allow you, that will help you to gain success because you see the bigger picture. Uh, so it's important to appreciate that there are phases in the journey, and it's also important to appreciate the big, broad strokes that are related to each of those phases, and that will then, inshallah, allow us to be able to attain our destination. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us amongst those who are able to awaken to the reality of no opportunity except Him. May He make us amongst those who are able to journey in that opportunity to completely engross ourselves in Him. May He make us amongst those who are then able to carry that deep uh, connection and consciousness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala into every single thing that we do uh, as we engage the world um, that He has placed us within. وآخرة أعوانا أن الحمد لله رب العالمين